Hey, this is for all of our property manager friends of the podcast. Are you looking to add more properties this year? If so, you got to check out Venturi. These guys are at the forefront of what they do. You should see them at conferences, pack presentations, their booths are slammed, and Brooke, their founder, is a huge fan and supporter of the pod. Venturi has built the first and only software and services platform designed specifically to help property managers recruit homeowners and add new inventory to their rental programs. John, these guys are awesome. They can help you pull lists of vacation rental homeowners in your area and then even market to them across multiple channels from landing pages to chatbots and so many more booking tools. Venturi is here to help you collect leads. Their state-of-the-art CRM with marketing automation can help you easily track those leads and efficiently communicate with them across your entire team. The system can even automatically follow up with your leads instantly. Knowing that your leads are getting contacted right away is an awesome feature. The best part is if you sign up now, you can get a free homeowner marketing list and a free owner landing page. On top of that is 60 day money back guarantee. Venturi makes it completely risk-free to try it out. They will even send you a $50 Amazon gift card just for taking a demo. To learn more, go to Venturi.com forward slash no BS. That's V-I-N-T-O-R-Y.com forward slash no BS. Or just mention that you heard about them on the No BS short-term rental podcast. Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Good morning, Mateo. Season two, episode 11. We are here. We are. We're How are you here? I'm doing fantastic, brother. How are you? Good. Our 41st episode. And, and this one's a, a big one. I'm, I'm pretty excited about our guest. And I, I think everyone's going to be a, a little surprised who we're able to snag. And we appreciate him joining us today. But I'll, I'll go ahead and let you give an introduction. But I want to get right into it so we get in the meat and potatoes of this interview. So yeah, I'm, I'm, we've been excited. I'm excited. I've been excited for this for quite some. You know, our industry is made up of unique individuals, as you can see. We've had a podcast running through 41 episodes of having some amazing interviews with people who have truly impacted our industry, and just from a business standpoint, from a cultural standpoint. And today, we're lucky to have a pioneer of someone that's really doing, continues to do both. I'm going to keep this introduction short because I want to dig in and get directly into talking with our guest today. The one and only, the never duplicated or replicated in this space, Carl Shepard. Welcome to the No Bullshit Short-Term Rental Podcast, sir. Thanks. Is Pioneer another way of saying really old guy? No, I wasn't going <laughs> to no, say look, that. Look, look, no, because it's a pioneer is about the true. impact. It's true. It's, it's true. The impact. It talks about timing in your impact in the space. Yeah, you could yeah. be a young pioneer. It's, uh, could be, but I got 30 years ago, I could have been a young pioneer, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, good, it's, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Carl, but 30 years ago, when you came into this space at that time, you weren't a pioneer yet because no one really knew what the hell was going on. It's like, it, I think like time and maturing and basing on the over time is, is what makes you a pioneer, right? Well, thanks. But uh, the, the real pioneers in this industry, though, are Brian and I, Brian Sharples, who started Homeway, which is now Verbo and, and I, we're not the real pioneers here. The real pioneers were people like Dave Bollinger and Hunter Melville in Vermont and the Van Voris, Patton, Jan and the late Pat Van Voris in Michigan, David Klaus and his wife, Lynn, and um, Brian Raub and his wife, Lisa, and Richard Cownsley over in London. The, the real pioneers were people who looked at this online in, in, in the mid-90s and said, you know, there's got to be a better way to rent a vacation home than having to go to the Chamber of Commerce of each city and find somebody to rent it. And that history is a pretty interesting one, but most people don't understand that ground zero for the vacation rental industry is not VRBO. Mm -hmm. It okay. is cyber rentals. Cyber rentals in Ludlow, Vermont is the ground zero in the online vacation rental industry. 
That's Ludlow, Vermont. Oh, chemo. I am. I know Vermont. I, I actually graduated high school in this time in 1996 from Rutland, Vermont. I, I know Ludlow very well. I used to ski up at Killington and, and teach skiing and snowboarding up there. So I, I'm very familiar with that area. Well, you would have loved the, the cyber rental offices. They had a room that only two people were allowed in at any one time so that you didn't fall through to the basement. <laughs> no oh, shit. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And, Everybody and, calls and, cyber rentals. Yeah, and the, and the technology was done by two guys out in California, uh, or no, no, Washington, and it ran on a MacBook in these guys' apartment. These two guys shared an apartment, and it, and the MacBook was cyber rentals, and they were oh, wow. guys that liked to be outside a lot and bike and mountain bike and ski, and if they were gone. For two or three days and the server went down, CyberRentals was off the air. It was just gone. And that went on for years. Uh, but it is ground zero of how you rented a vacation rental. And the first time I walked in those offices, it was like, a, it's a little house on the main street of Ludlow. And it was absolutely covered in post-it notes. You thought the wallpaper was post-it notes because of, do this, do that, get this guy, get this, check this, get this piece of information. It was amazing. It was amazing. That's that's so interesting. I, I thought you were going to go, that was their tape chart, but that was... Uh... <laughs> yeah, this was their to-do list, man. They would write stuff on post-it notes and they'd stick it on everybody's computer. And it was, it was great. Hunter is a, is a, a Dartmouth grad and his mm -hmm. best friend from his the time he was... Five years old is Dave Bollinger, and they started the online vacation rental industry. So how long from that cyber rentals until your involvement in, in your start of Homeway? What is, like, how, do, how does Carl Shepard stumble into this? No one really stumbles, but like, how do you say, you know what, this is what no, we're doing. Stumble. Stumble's, yeah, a good, I mean, stumble's a good way. Okay, so I had been the chief operating officer of a company here in Austin called Hoover's Online. I had 25 years previous experience in publishing, but publishing with paper and ink and printing presses, that's right. you know, that, that whole thing. And we had taken this company called Hoover's and business information, and we did for $9 a month, what Dunn and Bradstreet and Standard & Poor's charged $300,000 a year for. We, we were renegades and they, they didn't like us a whole lot. But we took that company public and sold it in 2003 to Dunn and Bradstreet because they finally figured out they couldn't beat us, so they might as well own us. I retired. I had a uh, kid hey, going And speaking home. of, you've done that a few times. I've done it a few times. Okay. Interesting. So, I, but I had a kid going into Dartmouth, a... At the time, five-year-old with Down syndrome going into the public school system. Okay. I thought that the best thing for me to do right now is to be a thorn in the side of the Ames School District. And I realized after a few months that I was a good thorn in the side, but my wife was a friggin' monster. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that, that, that the best thing to do was to get out of the way. She also explained to me one day casually that because I was at home and she said, if you're not going to work, you can't keep the nanny and the maid. So I thought, OK, that's real work. Now. I have, if I'm going to have to actually take care of Jack, that's a different thing than being able to say to the nanny. <laughs> I uh, started looking for some, some things to do. The whole idea was it could be part time. And I met Brian uh, Sharples and we were put together by Austin Ventures which was a large venture capital firm that uh, is no longer funding new things. They're just, they, they've been in the wind down process for a while now. But Austin Ventures was one of the first venture capital companies to actually do things in Texas. Knew all those guys from way back and they put in contact with Brian because they were looking at something for Brian who was the, had done a similar path. He had followed a similar path where he'd taken a company public, he'd sold it and he'd taken two years off because he had little kids. He had a 12 year old, but he also had a uh, like an 18-month-old and a three-year-old. They had traveled, and the business that Austin Venture picked out for him was an information business. So they called me to ask me to go look at this information business with Brian and see if it was a good business. And 
we had coffee at Starbucks and I said, I've read the the white paper. This is just dreadful. And every day you'd have to wake up in Houston, Texas. I mean, there's nothing more painful than that, than that combination of a dreadful business in Houston, Texas. I don't care how much money it makes. It, uh, <laughs> and, and he said, thank God. Yes, it's a horrible business, but what do you really want to do? And he said, I've been no noodling with this. And he had done a test on his own dime to start a business called Elysium, which he never got off the ground, but Steve, because Steve Case beat him to it with exclusive resorts. Okay. And yeah. so, but Brian had done all this research on the vacational industry. And the, the reason was that when you have kids as disparate as ours were, you know, my kids were 12 years apart from top to bottom. And I used to make the joke that I had to have the, you know, Sesame Street on one television and the Playboy channel on another. I had to bridge <laughs> that gap. We so, have we have a 10-year gap on ours. My oldest is 19, my youngest is nine. And there you go. There, there you go. Deal with it. I also had the problem that if I put Jack, the baby, in the same room with Kevin and Connor, there was a 50% likelihood that I would only have two children in the morning when I went to, to get them. points. So, right. <laughs> I decided that, that this traveling and keeping Jack in our room was not good. And we started using vacation rentals. And long story short, Brian and I talked about that. We both like vacation rentals. So what we decided to do was apply the Hoover's method of data collection and reporting to the vacation rental industry, which we knew nothing about. Right. But the, the, but we knew it was kind of disparate. And at the, the best data that was available at the time came from the Gaylord Enterprises public filings because they owned, gosh, Resort Quest was what they owned. And mm -hmm. they had, when they bought it, that was the last time that there was any independent information about the industry because as soon as they bought Resort Quest, they stopped reporting on it. it mm. They just consumed it and they didn't need to report Makes it. sense. Right. So yeah. the Resort Quest stuff that we looked at said there were 250,000 second homes available for rent in the United States. And Resort Quest had about 10% of them. And that was the industry. And we looked at that and said, gee, that doesn't seem like it's the industry. Because uh, we were looking at all these little websites. We, we, we saw Cyber Rentals. We saw VRBO. We saw these sites. And we didn't believe any of those companies made money. We just thought they were, how can you make money doing what they did? And they were so badly done. The websites were all, except for great rentals, they were all really badly done. And we thought that can't be possibly be good, true, that there's only this many. So we realized that what we wanted to do was have the cover editorially, the 50,000 most interesting companies, the biggest rentals in the world. And then you could rent them. And we were going to talk about them very much along the lines of a hideaways or an, an Andrew Harper or something like that. It was going to be a quasi publication. And the thing that had made Hoover's work was that uh, at Hoover's, we needed to have an answer for every company in the world, even though we knew the public was only interested in about 15,000 companies. But on that rare occasion, someone wanted to find out about Tom's Texaco on the corner of Shoal Creek and right. you know, whatever, you needed to know something about it. So we licensed that data from Dun & Bradstreet, who eventually bought Hoover's. We then turned around and looked at this at HomeAway and said, okay, we need to have an answer no matter even if it's not one of our houses, we need to have an answer. So let's go license the content of all these little websites and we'll send them traffic because they can't make money anyway. Right. So, you know, so we'll, and we'll, we'll just go license them. So we met them in Depot Bay, Oregon. They happen to actively meet once a quarter, VRBO, Great Rentals, Cyber Rentals, and, and A1 Vacations. And they play poker all weekend. <laughs> and wives would shop and they'd stay in one vacation rental and they're all super people. Yeah. So we went out there to meet them and Brian had a pitch deck and we, and Brian is like central friggin' casting. If you want to see him. he's <laughs> tall, he's good looking, he's got great teeth and he's really well-spoken and he's well-educated, yada, yada, yada. So he gives our presentation and one of the, the women begins to cry. I mean, in the middle of his presentation, she starts crying. I'm, I'm going, this is odd. Yeah. And I asked her <laughs> why she was crying. And she said, because I realized it was all over, that you had found mm. us. And that our life mm. of just making money and rocking along 
that had ended because now money had found the vacational industry. Mm-hmm. We had $50 million at our disposal because that's what Austin Ventures had given us. And we could do anything we wanted to. And we told them we had $50 million. Right. And these guys had all bootstrapped, man. I mean, this was right. all heavy lifting over 10 years. So this is obviously the first capital they had seen thrown their way. It was just everything was 100% organic bootstrapped. And now they're like, holy shit. Like, right. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they, the four of them knew each other is there was a bank called Robertson Stevenson. And you guys are too young to remember it, but all the old people will remember Robbie Stevenson. And their claim to fame during Web 1.0 was that they would go get disparate companies, they'd put them together and they'd take them public. They were losing shitloads mm-hmm. of money. Okay. And Robbie right. Stevenson had planned to take these four companies, combine them and take them public. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, had fallen through when the web collapsed. And that's why they knew each other. But they all did the same thing. And they all did subscriptions. And we talked, and during that meeting at Depot Bay, we asked them if we could talk to them about licensing. And we would go out, it's hysterical to think about it. We had to go outside. It was the only private place on the coast of Oregon with that wind coming off the Pacific oh Ocean. And it was 50 oh, yeah. degrees. We were in the Brutal. we were in the backyard, you know, talking to these guys. And one by one, they said, we're not interested in licensing the content, but if you want to buy us, that'd be fine. And I said, well, go talk. We'll think about that. Can you just give me your top line numbers? And they said, the first one said, oh, we make about three. I'm not going to tell you which company. Oh, we do mm-hmm. about four million in revenue. I said, okay, what's, what's your... What's your EBITDA? And they said, what is EBITDA? How much cash do you get at the end of it? And they said, oh, we do about 4 million revenue. I guess we do about 3.5 in cash. Wow. <laughs> and I'm going, <laughs> what? Your mind is blown. <laughs> Mine totally blown. And um, each one of them was saying that. And Holy we get back, so we meet the, the, all four of them. And the only one who isn't interested in selling is VRBO, Dave Klaus at VRBO. Mm-hmm. And his numbers, which I won't share, were like, I'd never heard numbers like that. So Verbo or VRBO back then, mm-hmm. their numbers were exponentially higher than the other three? Yes. Wow. Exponentially. Wow. Because Dave did, they did nothing. They just took right. your subscription. They had no staff. They had, they, there was nothing. They had no marketing. Yeah. They had nothing. They didn't even keep an address of the, of the email address of the person who inquired. They did nothing. Wow. <laughs> so, so they're they just they a pass-through then. That's it. They're just a total pass-through. And, but they made shit tons of money. I guess I shouldn't say shit tons, but that's- You cannot, you cannot no, that's, on uh, here. On the no bullshit, on the no bullshit podcast, you can definitely say that. <laughs> so we get back in the car to go back to the airport. We're driving down the highway, Brian's driving, and we're going, holy crap, we completely misjudged that this is what the industry wants. The, the This professional industry doesn't like these guys, but they cheat and advertise on them because they have to. Yep. And, and they, they, but, and the public documentation has completely missed the fact that people who rent their homes for less than 50 weeks a year. In other words, the, the IRS thing was, you buy your second home, you can use it two weeks, 50 weeks a year if it's for rent, you get to deduct it, right? That's mm-hmm. the way it works. And But that none of these people were doing this because they wanted to actually use their homes right. and their second homes. And that was the difference. And we had no idea how many there were, but we could look at the growth rates of these companies. Over, it, we couldn't do it at that point in time, but we eventually were able to and say, well, shit, we don't know what the top number is because, but it's growing at VRBO at 85% a year. <laughs> subscription base. And, and cyber rentals were growing something like a 70% a year. And they were just on and they were not duplicated. This right. is just people finding them. So Brian pulls off the highway and he sa- turns to me, he says, Carl, let's just buy those guys. And that was it. Yeah, we, nice. we got back in the plane. We went back to Austin. We went to meet our venture capitalist overlords. We said, got good news for you. We're not going to be starting anything. We're just going to buy these companies. And we went out and bought three of them. A1 mm-hmm. Vacations, Great Rentals, Cyber. Well, three for now. Three for mm-hmm. now. And then we found Cyber Holiday Rentals in London. Okay. Holiday mm-hmm. Rentals actually had technology. 
because the mm -hmm. other everybody else did not but the guy in mm -hmm. holiday rentals had it was written on a piece of crap software but it but it, it was logical it was good it would take it, you could stress it a little bit it wasn't mm -hmm. going to work for us long term but we could get started with it so we bought those four companies on the first day of HomeAway, and a third, a fifth one that we quickly realized we had a problem with because it was focused on the professional industry. Okay. And we didn't know at the time about the Hatfields and McCoys. We didn't understand that yeah. that the professionals hated the people that made it possible for them to be in business. So this is two thousand five. This is the two thousand five. 2005, yeah, 2004, but you know, officially to March, 2005 is when you got five companies that are all under your belt. Now there, you have some tech that's decent, at least enough to get you going and you're off to the races. Right. And then after that, we ran through our, we put a plan in front of the VCs. It had a five-year plan. We beat the five-year plan about seven months into our life. And we said, well, hell with this. We're just going to have to run the table. And I started buying everything that wasn't not nailed down. I got on an airplane and we hired a guy to be a chief operating officer. And I got on an airplane and started flying around the world, buying websites. I bought, I thought 23 of them. Wow. All doing what, the same thing. What, if looking back at those 23 acquisitions that you did, what was, you know, we know about VRBO and that, but outside of VRBO, what was the biggest, most instrumental like acquisition that, Homeway did that like really and we know like that first seven months you already beat meet your goal so we already know you're making it like crazy we numbers profitable. we were profitable the afternoon we closed on all the companies right 100 percent. but what is like when you're looking back now there's always like things like wow that was amazing like we did some really amazing things or like oh we shouldn't have done that of those 23 acquisitions which one was like was a surprise to you that was like it worked so well or didn't work or oh, didn't work Oh, I think it wouldn't be a surprise, but VRBO was the one that worked very well. Yeah. And they came to it one it was in 20. We had just bought we just had done a deal to buy Abritel in France. And we had looked at another company called Homely Days in Paris, but there was this little company in France called Abritel. And I walked into that office in Marseille and it, it reminded me of Cyber Rentals, but that was one where we were realizing that we could grow into different languages quickly. Mm -hmm. So that, that was one that I'd marked. And we had the deal to buy them when Dave Klaus called me one day and he said, Carl, you said one time you would like to buy me. I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to buy you. And he'd say, will you pay X, which was a big number. Right. And I said, sure, Dave, I'll pay X. And he said, well, great. When do you want it? Well, what, what's the next step? And I said, well, I'll send you a term sheet. And we'll get the lawyer started. But yeah, I'll pay X. And I walked into Brian's office and I said, I have good news and bad news. <laughs> and the good news is I just have a deal to buy Verbo, VRBO, for X. And the bad news is we don't have X. <laughs> we don't have that money. So you need to go get me X. And X was a big friggin' number. But you knew. So I, you knew is yeah. We knew. So we ended up, that was a hard acquisition to do because as I mentioned, these companies were not companies really. Right. Uh, Verbo was in five different LLCs. There were no financial statements. There were no records, only tax returns, nothing. And we had to create three years worth of financial statements out of whole cloth and send in forensic accountants to do all that. But I knew that because of the how VRBO was, every bit of their profitability would drop to our bottom line. We didn't need to hire another person. We didn't mm -hmm. need to do anything. We just bought that. So the most consequential acquisition was, was Verbo. The, the next ones that I'd say were the most strategic were the software companies. And the software companies, it's a little known fact, but it's, its uh, I can say it now. The, soft, the, the professionals hated us. They yeah. did, VRMA, my most, my memory of my first VRMA meeting is that I went to meet with the board before VRMA started. So the, and when, when was this? Just to put a little time. 2005. Step. 2005. Okay. Who was, who was the, uh, the president back then? I can't even remember. Okay. 
can't remember. But I, I remember that I made the presentation saying, this is who we are, this is what we do. And they said, but you don't understand. You are empowering our owners to cheat us. <laughs> and I say, no, but without your owners, you're nothing. And if your owners are advertising independently, it's because you're not doing a good job. You're, if, you're, if your professionals are not meeting the needs of their owners, that's not my problem. I'm the messenger telling you that I am 50 times bigger than you and I've only been in business for five months. Right. <laughs> and you guys are sitting here talking like you are, uh, that I'm like, I'm scum. And so I make the presentation, I leave. I then get into an elevator with one of the board members very large guy, very, you can't miss him. He's a very big mm -hmm. guy. I get into the elevator. We're the only two people in the elevator. He turns his back to me and looks in the corner. Wow. That was my reception at BRMA. Wow. Wait, like a kid that doesn't want to talk to you, like turned yeah. a little, like he's pouting? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't oh, like man. you, blah, 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 blah. So we went through a few years with BRMA yeah. and they could not understand that technology was driving this and that the users were driving. This was the industry was being driven to owner managed properties. And they weren't, they didn't have the wherewithal to look internally to say, what are we doing wrong? Why are we delivering such a bad service that our owners leave us? That's the question they should have been asking. Right. But the question that they were asking was, can we shut down uh, HomeAway because it competes with us? Yeah, instead of putting the guests first and putting the experience first, you're going to go ahead. And one well, that brings back to that whole Hatfield and McCoy's mindset that, that you alluded to earlier, the professionally managed and then these independent homeowners doing their thing. And they, and they cast such bad, it was the, the prejudice that was amazing. I, I would say to them, okay, we have done surveys. And the surveys we have done at that time, I don't know what the surveys would say today, I, I'm out of it. But the surveys at the time said, if people expressed a preference, travelers, if they expressed a preference, they preferred an owner-managed property. Why is that? And it's because an owner-managed property is managed by a family. And are y'all married? Yep. 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 Okay. Yep. A wife. And mama's not going to live in a dump. Mama's right. not going to... It's going to be nice. Yeah. And it's a lot... They were a lot nicer. Owner-managed properties were just nicer because they weren't done for profit. They were done for love. And that's what was driving this industry is that people were saying, okay, I'll share my house with people eight, 12 times a year. Right. And I'll offset my cost, but that's my house. I go a lot. And if I don't go, my, my in-laws go or my brother and sister goes. So they didn't want to rent it 50 times a year. And the property managers were saying, it's a 50-week contract or you can't be here. Right. So this, is, it, this it, is the key. Utilizing this technology and this new tech at this time was the key to go ahead and for the homeowners at that time to, to use their vacation rentals, very literal vacation rentals in a way that they want to do it and then offer it six, seven, eight time, you know, weeks a year out to other people. Right. And, so, and recoup some of that cost. But but what was important about the number of times is that the industry reported about availability based on 50 weeks a year. And they would say that we're only 25% occupied. Someone who only rented 18 times a year, that's only mm. all they, she wanted to rent. And she could rent all 18 of those weeks on HomeAway. That's 100% occupied. occupied. Yeah. And she was thrilled. And... 18 weeks a year would not have been worth it to a property manager. So right. they were at war and said, so you've got all this stuff that was going on. So when getting to the consequential acquisitions, I don't think people understood at the time that the software companies that supported all the professional industry, there were only two or three of them. Mm -hmm. They were all precarious. Escapia was hours away from being shut down and being shut down in such a way that this property manager who uses it 
it's gone. Like on, on a morning, there's not, none of your data is there anymore. It's gone. Escapia was on fumes. Wonderful people. They had bet wrong and they had the wrong venture capitalist who didn't see this industry was really growing. They needed to keep going. And we got a great guy out of Escapia. One of our leading managers came from Escapia. And then the other business was Instant Software. And Instant Software was a, a, a good group of people, basically. They had, some, they had some idiosyncrasies, but a good group of people. Their biggest problem was that they could not say no to their customer base. So they had almost infinite versions of every piece of software that they had. And they had like eight pieces of software. So the house of cards was just teetering. Right. Both of those companies, because there was no way to maintain the software base at Instant Software. So and this is the birth of Hasp then? The, the Homeway Software. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So strategically, I, I, Brian and I were talking one day and I said, you know, if these companies go out of business, we'll never get the professional properties on our, our services because we can't do ones and twosies. They can't come in and just put right. a listing up. They have to put a hundred right. listings and we have to be integrated with the software. So we bought those companies because they were not profitable. They were not good businesses. They were wonderful people, but they weren't good businesses. And we had to buy those because if we didn't, then you would have almost the entirety of the professional vacation rental industry without software instantly. So I think that was critical. And I don't think the industry ever knew how close they were to implosion. So that that was one. So I think those were the two most consequential. And V12 was in there at some point, correct? It was a myth. V12 was not released. V12 had been under development for like centuries. I'm being sarcastic, but it still hadn't been released. We didn't get it released until uh, 18 months after we bought them. Okay. Because we had to eliminate over a million and a half lines of code from V12. <laughs> oh wow! So, so got some real clean code there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but you couldn't stop because half of their base, it's the software's base, was using First Resorts, which was DOS based. Right. Literally on a floppy, and at yes. night they turned off their computer, and you couldn't book a property. It's insane. It was insane. Yeah. This, I, was in, this was in 2010. Yeah. It's still yeah. holy. So, so it's those were the two. I think if you look at what happened to the industry, those were the most consequential acquisitions. You started a tidal wave, right? With you were doing, bringing. We we talk a lot about the journey that the industry faces from becoming cottage and homegrown and this family-oriented, family-driven business that escaped the laws of business physics and everything else and survived for generations coming into an era that is what we've been talking about this whole time, that's data-driven, right? That's technology-forward, that you know, purports that it doesn't want to lose the parts that make our industry great, that, that piece, but uses technology every day from this function to make that process smoother. Now I call it a tidal wave because hearing you say everything from hearing that woman cry to these house of cards that were stood up to businesses that were bought, that were not profitable. These are themes, right? Like we can go back and, and look at the, and look at even in the past five years and six years that I've been spaced that are pillars that I hear again, businesses, venture coming in, throwing in money to businesses that are not profitable and people stand back and are like, what the hell's going on? Why is this happening? How is this happening? Data, which I really want to dig into the value because that's what I don't think people are understanding. Hearing your story and how you came in, data was the key. Data was the goal. Data was the value in that space. Looking at where your background, where you come from, that was not my idea of where this was going to go. But how did data, that's the goal. Where do we go from here? How do we get this part? Where does this clean up? Because that's the, I think you know, data is certainly part of it. Knowing where your customers are going, how much you can charge and all of that stuff is the professionalism of the industry. And I had a very interesting experience. Uh, we went to, my wife and I popped the other day, we just got crazy and we said, we're gonna go to Palm Springs and hike at Joshua Tree. 
We'll stay in Palm Springs. And we'll get a, a Verbo and we'll stay there and we'll hike every day. And I went online and for the first time in my life, Verbo was more expensive than a resort, much more. Now, is that after fees? And that is, is that after everything that goes yeah, into it? Or after everything. Verbo, was, yeah, okay. Verbo was about 50% more than I could stay at a resort in mm-hmm. Palm Springs. And we don't, we, we don't, dirty little secret about one of the founders of the industry is that we don't use a kitchen except barely. I mean, yeah. my wife says that if she has to cook, it ain't a vacation. And so Good we points. do not cook. We do not use the kitchen. We did use it for breakfast stuff so that the kids could wake up and eat. But without us, we eat out. We, that's, so you have to take that as a given that the kitchen isn't important to me, the verbo. What was always important to me was the space and the quality. But when it's just two of us and a two-bedroom or one-bedroom house in Palm Springs is going to cost more than staying at the Omni Mirage... I stayed at the Omni Mirage because that's right. that worked better for me right now. I think that's one of the things that's happened over the last 20 years in the industry is that data is moving this more expensive. The other thing that data is doing is bringing different types of operators in. And they are operators who are trying all sorts of things. We all saw how Zonder tried to make their model work. But there's all, mm-hmm. and, and they're still trying. I don't know what their model is now. But, but I think that's what the data-driven young millennials are trying to bring to this industry is how do we choose the right place and how do we get the right at the end of the day this is still an industry that requires you to have a license it requires you to pay taxes it requires infrastructure that data does help on but it's still a hospitality industry and i think we have now i'm wondering if we have now crossed over the industry to such a point that we are competitive with hotels because we got to say at home away when I was driving it up that not only can you have a house and have a pool and have your own space, it's cheaper than going to a hotel. We right. have to say that. You can't say that anymore. Right. And because and that's well, I think be- I think there's a lots of different pieces to that too. I think that we can't, and I hate to bring this up most episode, but you can't oversight what COVID and the pandemic has done and in, in looking at travel and in, in comfortably, you know, like most families that, you know, there was a time that, hey, hotels are fine now. And it's changed again. Obviously we're post-pandemic, we're coming out of it. There's still issues, but I think that there was a, a big, there's a big trend towards vacation rentals, obviously at the beginning of this pandemic. And it's, and it, that trend is still staying that way. Yeah. True. But the other thing the pandemic did is it eliminated the ability to go overseas. So mm-hmm. it, it's not just the travel industry. And I don't think people realized what was going to happen when the pandemic started, because I, I was on the board of Turnkey at the time. And we had a mm-hmm. meeting, an emergency meeting and said, what in the hell is going to happen here? Because the cancellations were just flowing. And then people began to realize that their kids had come home. And then they began to realize that they could go to a vacation rental because if they're going to work someplace, they might as well go work on the coast because they were social distancing. It yep. was, if you live in an apartment building in New York City and you could go to a vacation rental in Vermont, even though it was cold, your kids were safer in Vermont in a vacation right. than they were in the city. That was one thing that was happening. But then you had the fact that you can't leave the country. So Verbo did amazing. Airbnb yeah. did okay. Because remember, mm-hmm. Airbnb's largest inventory mass at that time when the pandemic started was cities. Right. Yeah. And people didn't want to go to cities. They, uh, yeah. <laughs> they wanted to stay as yeah. far away from the city as they could. So Verbo did amazing. And, the, mm-hmm. and I think you in country, the, it, it was all in country travel. It needed bigger countries. You can travel within Germany, so right. they did fine. Mm-hmm. You can travel within France, they did fine. You could travel within England, they did fine. The smaller countries didn't do so well. And of course, no one went to Italy because even the Italians didn't want to be in Italy. So the, right. the, the, <laughs> that I think we all have to look at 2020 and 2021 and the first half of 2022 and say, this really doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And you can't look at it for projecting in the forward. What it did do 
Right. It, it may have increased occupancy a little bit, but at this point, 80% of travelers have experienced a vacation rental. They're going to keep going. Now, will they keep going over going to resorts? I wouldn't make that bet. I think when Disney, when things get going again, I think Disney shows us. Disney hotels are full. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. they're the right thing to do when you go to Disney. So if you can afford to stay on campus in Disney, there's no experience yeah. like that. There's no a vacation right. room can't duplicate that. So right. I think that I think we haven't seen what's going to happen in 2023. But my advice to any travel business, I'm on the board of Hostel World as well, is where you can't look at 2021, 2022 as anything other than, damn, that happened. What does it mean going forward? I don't know. You, you talk, you know, the end of 2022, you're talking 2023. What companies or what movements do you see are making a, a splash in the right direction in, in your eyes as far as w- where things are going and, and what should the industry be looking out for? If people can travel again, there, there, there are lots of things being thrown out there. I personally do not believe that business travel is dead. I, I think that the first time a sale is made because someone didn't do it on Zoom and actually flew to the client's office and took him out to lunch, that we'll be back to people traveling for business because business people want to win. And if they can't mm-hmm. win on Zoom, if every meeting has to be held on Zoom, so be it. But if someone's going to come and actually take you to a Lakers game. Yeah, yeah that guy's going to get the business and that's the way it's always been. And that's the way it's going to be. So I, I believe business travel will come back in 2023. I think hotels will come back in 2023 because there is something to the idea of staying for couples, especially hotels are wonderful. I mean, vacation rentals are great for families and groups traveling together. There's no better thing, but you're not going to ever get me. Personally, I, I was looking at these vacation rentals on the Outer Banks of North Carolina and some of them in Florida now, which are 28 room houses that can be rented all together or, well, screw that. I'm never going to do that. That's a, that's right. the worst of all worlds. So I, I, I just don't, I don't know what trend is going to develop. I think hotels is going to come back. I believe you may see a flattening of, of the our industry, the vacational industry, because yeah. when people have more options again, they're going to have more options. I'm on one of the boards I'm on has an overlap with a guy who is with Ryanair and, in Europe. Oof. And Oof. Ryanair, we can shake our heads about it, but it's the way Europeans travel yeah. and it's the way they yeah, get to Spain. It's the way the taxi driver in London can afford to use yeah. his flat in Spain is Ryanair. Yeah. Right. And they are the leading indicator to me right now because they're as as Europe opens up, Ryanair is opening up and they are sending out full planes. So I believe you're going to see a a, a return to some sort of normalcy. And if you couple that with this decision that the United States is making and we're not alone, is that we don't care anymore. It's over. Yeah. And, and th- what's tacitly, we don't have to like to say the second part of it, which is the unvaccinated people are dying. Okay, right. that's their choice. That really is what we're saying when we say Let's, it's all right. over. Yeah. I think that's going on all around the world. So will 2023 yeah. be a normal year? I think it will be headed that. Whether it will over-index on any one thing, I don't know. I don't think it will over-index in our industry, though. I think our industry... Yeah is going to suffer because if people, a little, not a lot, but if people can go stay in a four-star resort or five-star resort in Aspen, Colorado, they will. And you, you have to look at it in a way, you know, when I travel by myself for business, I never go stay in a vacation rental, even though I work in the in this space, because it's just not easy for me. And I want to be able to go get quickly in and out and have things done for me and because time is precious. And there's a lot of positives with with the VR space, of course. And anytime I go with the family, that's where we always go. But you had a great point. When you're going to Palm Springs and your vacation rental, that for your, you know, if it's just two of you or even three of you, a hotel or a resort, and you're going to have those amenities and all that there, and it's less expensive, is that going to go ahead and cap those pricing? 
are we going to see prices like more equal, seeing well, some sort of equilibrium? Index of demand, John, that everybody who can travel the United States would travel to a drive to location that they could get to within mm -hmm. a day and yes. stay in a vacation rental because it was the safest. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sure they, that 90% of those people liked it, but I'm also sure that at least 10 or 15% of those people did it because their only option was to do that. Right. And if they could have stayed at that beautiful, there's a beautiful resort in, in Hawaii that we usually would book in whenever we would go to Hawaii, we'd stay in a vacation rental for seven days and we'd stay for 10 or 12 and we'd bookend it with a resort so mm -hmm. that because they had all the stuff the kids like to do, the slides and, you know, that right. that's, that was empty because people didn't want to stay there when they, when yeah. It's not going to be empty anymore. No. So I think our industry needs to look at this to say, we had a great couple of years. Thank God we got to benefit and make money during the pandemic. But no. are our prices too high? Time will tell. Uh, data, to Matea's point, says that they are. I think that in my point of view, there's a lot of inventory out there right now. There's a lot of people came into this industry in the last year because it looked like the right place to be. You came into this industry thinking this was our year. This is a typical year. What if this year is overinflated by 20%? That's a lot of, well, and you got and you got people like Chesky that were out there saying, "Hey, we don't have enough inventory," so it's drawing more people saying, "Oh, wow, this wave oh. is." It, they need us and they need more, but which is happening on the back end of it. Hotels yeah. are learning. You're seeing you're seeing all kind of hybrids in the space. John and I go right. back and forth about urban versus traditional vacation rental and the taking tips from both sides and the morphing of this. You talk about the work world. What does that even mean coming out of 2021 and, and going to 2022? What is that going to be looking like? You have all that's going on there, how people working, where they're working, offices closed, like all of these things play into our space now. They are. I don't think we- really But Matea, I, I would say, let's look at a couple of, of, of other trends. Here in Austin, mm -hmm. Google has just opened or will open soon a building mm -hmm. that houses 3,000 people. Oracle mm -hmm. is moving a campus here. Apple is all mm -hmm. opening another building that will take uh, their campus that they're saying is going to be here will be 15,000 people. They're not that investing in buildings because they don't expect people to be at their desk. Yeah. And so you can read all these people saying they're not going to go back to work, but it's a very highly specialized person who can really work many. Mm -hmm. It's an individual contributor. And I'm going to add that yeah. and say it's an individual contributor doesn't have a wife because mm -hmm. when, when you can't take a family, unless you're going to homeschool, you can't take your kids around the country as, as nomads. We could do that in 2021 and 2022 because the schools were closed. Yeah. 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 Now the schools aren't open. The soccer teams on weekends, that's going to, that's going to change back the pattern because I, if you've got young kids, I grew through it. Thank God I'm done with it. I, my weekends, I, I slept from game to game. Yeah. And that's what I did. I drove. And I think that we have forgotten normalcy. And normalcy will come mm -hmm. back to us. And yes, there will be adjustments. Right. Yes, yeah. people will work from home and it won't, be, it won't be the end of your career. But this notion that you don't have to show up and be seen and contribute at business, that's a big notion. When no and one is showing you. up, it's yeah. okay. Yeah. But, but we all know the brown noser who will show up every day. He's going to be there. It's Mateo. What's happening? Well, no, <laughs> shit. Not on your life, man. Don't be, you're crazy if you think if you think that's me. Uh, that's the anti-me. But it's interesting because the same thing has happened in Atlanta. Airbnb just built a huge hub. Google's building a huge hub. Microsoft has built a huge regional hub here. Like the building is going crazy. And right. the one thing I do notice is I haven't seen commercial real estate ringing the alarm. Like I've heard their worries, but I see the cranes. And so like I see the cranes, I see the building, but it's not message. It's not on par with the messaging. Cause I know people that work for these too. And they're like, oh yeah, Google's extending its work at home policy, but it's building a huge skyscraper in downtown Atlanta. Right. So it's like, what, what, where is this? I feel there's going to be this point where they're going to be turn that switch and be like, oh yeah, we do need you in the office. I, I don't even, Mateo, I don't even think the switch has to turn. I, mm. I just think that 
human nature is such that I'll give this example. Hostel World, great little company mm -hmm. in, in Dublin, Ireland, totally virtual yeah. for two years now. Our new employees are adrift. They don't feel part of anything. Yeah. When we do our employee surveys, they don't think that any thing has changed. Now, in Ireland, you have a very unique thing that we don't have in the States, but you stay with your family until you're married, basically. You don't go out right. and live on your right. own. Mm -hmm. So these right. kids are 23 years old, living with their mom and dad in their room, mm -hmm. working for Hostel World. What has changed for them? So we have a real problem as a company of how we assimilate those people into the mothership and how they we make them feel part of something that's bigger because they're not yeah that's going to need to be important and that's not going to be isolated to the hostile world new people are coming into the job market every day and they don't want to yeah. be adrift they want something in their life to change i yeah. i don't think we can predict how all this is changing because all you have is current in the moment anecdotes Right. But long term, I think we're going to see in travel, business travel is going to return. I think we're going to yeah. see a more equitable distribution between hotels and vacation rentals. I agree. Will it go back to what it was? No, because too many people have experienced a vacation rental and they are the absolute mm -hmm. perfect thing for families and groups traveling together. So that's that is that's not going to change. We're, but we I can tell you and this isn't out of school when a market in Europe opens up hostels sell out. Okay? Yeah. You don't yeah. get more socially undistanced. No, you're you're right there in a hostel uh -huh. exactly. Right. Yeah. So yeah. and they sell out as soon as you can get to them. So so the the human desire to travel, to experience, to do things isn't limited to a single category of lodging. Right. Agree. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's who we are. Even on the work side, like I, I don't like working at home all the time. It's cool, but like, and I know that I, I'm just speaking for myself, but I, if I don't leave my house, I'm going to go damn crazy. Yeah. I, I tell my kids that I feel very fortunate that I don't have to have the life that they have. Carl, I know we're at time. I know you guys someplace you want to go. Thank you so much. We, I would love to make a part two. We didn't even talk your special purchase acquisition company. We Jeez, never yeah. talked back. And I know it's like your favorite topic. We'd love <laughs> to have you back on soon if you join us and we can do a part two and we can talk yeah. current moving forward and in some of that stuff you're doing if you join us. As I say, I'm an, I'm an old retired guy and when I'm not traveling, I'm available. Well, perfect. We'll get you on <laughs> okay. soon for, for part two of this. And thank you so much for joining us. All right. You guys take yeah, care. Thank you so much for taking the time, Carl. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.